As you uh, sit down, please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the book of Ephesians as we continue our series in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We've got to chapter 4, and the text I'm going to draw our attention to this morning is from verse 1 through to verse 16. So let's hear God's word together. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, Let's bow our heads in prayer as we come to God's word. Our Father God, we thank you for your word. We pray as we come to this uh, key passage about unity, you'd help us to hear its message and the passion that vibrates through it uh, with, yes, with the emotion that comes here, but also the clarity with which Paul is writing. Uh, So clear our minds and fire our hearts, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. When it comes to a theme like unity, it's easy, I think, for us to feel like it's a a matter of marginal significance. Uh, we, We don't particularly struggle with unity as a church. I'm sure we have our occasional tensions, but hasn't been an ongoing theme of the church and and it can seem as if unity is a sort of not that significant really it's 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 a minor matter in the in the teachings of the bible but actually it's of great significance let me give you one illustration as we start to make that clear in a practical way in 2018 there was a article in the news magazine The Economist that 
describe that research suggests that when something goes wrong in surgery, it is not actually, for the vast majority of the time, because of some technical error or because of some lack of expertise or skill on the part of the surgeons, 70 to 80% of the time, when something goes wrong in surgery, it is because of relational friction and disagreement between those who are in, in the team doing the surgery. 70 80 to 80% of the time? Oh, unity matters. It matters in family. Uh, if, if family life is not united, uh, the children's grades will tend to be less good. It matters in society. If a society is not united, it cannot, if, a, if a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. It matters at work. It matters in surgery. It matters in church, too. And here the Apostle Paul is urging us. It, it, it is a passionate commitment of his. He's urging us to grow gospel unity in two ways. First, by maintaining loving humility. And then second, by furthering word ministry. Let's look at those two ways together, as Paul teaches, as I say, with passion. First, by maintaining loving humility. This is verses 1 through to 6, and there are really two sides to what he's teaching here. On the, on the one side, he's saying, our unity as Christians is already established through the gospel. It's not something we create. It's something that is. We are one. But on the other side, that unity must be maintained through loving humility. See how he, both sides of this maintaining uh, through loving humility. He, he begins by saying, I therefore, and of course the therefore is uh, referring back to what he's been teaching about the gospel so far. And then he gives it maximum uh, emotional punch by referring to his status as, a, as, as someone who's in jail, a prisoner for the Lord. I want you Ephesians. When I'm talking about this matter of unity, to picture in your mind, there I am in jail, chained to a Roman soldier. I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord. Now listen, I urge you, he, he's passionately committed to this thing, to walk. And so, again, that's an active thing, isn't it? It's not passive walking. It's one step in front of the other, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The calling is the upward calling of God to be a Christian. That's what the Bible means by calling predominantly, and that's what this passage here means by calling. You have been called by God's Spirit to be a Christian, the calling to which you've been called. And then he says there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope, uh, this is verse 4, that belongs to your call. Amazingly, Paul has all these inner subtle allusions through his writings and here's one by that phrase the hope to which you've been called he's referring to back to something he said in chapter one describing the hope of the calling to be a Christian because you are united there is one body not not I want you to make one body there is one body 
And one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This unity is already established through the gospel. That's the first lesson about unity. It's not something that we need to create. The church has so often got this wrong. It's tried to create unity through organizations and uh, and conferences and and meetings and and administration and our unity if we're Christians is already established but having said that it must be maintained I'm urging you passionately to maintain but but how to maintain well the kind of urging and passion he's he wants is a loving humility with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace So there Paul is saying, I want, I want this, this gospel unity to grow. It must be maintained through loving humility. On the one side, it is something that is already established, but on the other side, it is something that you must maintain. I'm urging you for that and to maintain it through, through loving humility, love, patience, peace, gentleness. It's a bit like our, uh, our human bodies, to use an analogy, an illustration. We're each given a human body. It is a unit. But its unity must be maintained, especially as you get older. Feels like you're falling apart. I remember when I was 17 and you know, I was doing various kinds of exercise and engaged in all sorts of sports and that sort of thing. And I would take a month off exercise. And then if I wanted to get fit again, I would just exercise for three days and then I'd be fit again. And no longer the case. The unity of our bodies must be maintained. And of course, at some point or other, it's going to fall apart anyway. Somewhat similarly, the unity we have as Christians, not something we create, something we experience. Any time you go in any place across denominational lines, you come across a real Christian, you open up the Bible, you know that you are one with that person. But it must be actively maintained through patience and love and peace. That's the first thing I want you to understand, says the Apostle Paul. This gospel unity is a big deal, but, and it has been established through Jesus. And yet it is something that you Ephesians, you need to actively uh, maintain. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through loving humility. But then second, there's another side to it. Not only maintain, uh, uh, not only grow the gospel unity through maintaining loving humility, but also through furthering word ministry. It's fascinating to me that churches and Christian organizations that tend to emphasize love and peace and patience don't emphasize Bible and truth. How different is the Apostle Paul? Not only through loving humility, but also through furthering 
word ministry. And this runs in the second half of the passage from verse uh, 7 through to the end of the section we're looking at, verse, verse 16. And this too has, uh, two, has, has is, is a coin with, with two sides to it, this part of furthering word ministry. On the one side, he's saying, there are these Christ-gifted leaders that Jesus has given to the church, and they are to further word ministry in, in, in the church. On the other side, all of us, equipped by these Christ-gifted word ministers, are to further our own word ministry too. All of us. So there are these uh, Christ-gifted leaders. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he, uh, verse 8, exposits, uh, explains how Psalm 68 is fulfilled in this way. He says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, all the heavens. In that theme of the heavenly power of God that runs throughout the book of Ephesians, that he might fill all things, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip. What the apostle Paul is saying is that when God descended to the earth and became incarnate in Jesus, fully God and fully man, and then lived and died and rose again and ascended to the heavens... He won a great victory, and in winning that great victory, he scattered gifts to his people. And then he lists those gifts. And here, he only lists the gifts. There are many other spiritual gifts that the Bible talks about as well, administration and other things like this. But here, in this passage, he only lists the gifts that are related to word ministry. Because to grow gospel unity, you not only need to maintain loving humility, you also need to further word ministry. He gave the apostles. Apostles uh, were those who saw and were witnesses to the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead and were personally commissioned by Christ himself to lay the foundation, the, the doctrinal foundation of the church. Prophets, uh, those who, who take that doctrinal foundation of the church and uh, are spiritually prompted to give words of insight and encouragement to the church. The evangelists, those who take that doctrinal foundation laid by the apostles and take it out to the world and tell non-Christians about Jesus. An evangelist is someone who performs a transplant operation, brings someone from the world into the church. And then the shepherds and teachers, one group of people, not shepherds and then separately teachers, but shepherds and teachers uh, for pastors or shepherds are those who teach, who teach what? Of course, God's word. All of these are word ministry gifts. But their purpose is to equip. To equip who? Us all, all the saints, for the work of ministry. 
for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity, growing gospel unity, until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to be grown up, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's used the image of a, of a child growing up into maturity so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Why doctrine? Because it is doctrine that so easily divides and it is this word ministry through Christ-gifted leaders teaching in the church but then equipping us all for our own word ministry that then counteracts the false teaching. As we all, verse 15, speak the truth in love. That phrase, speaking the truth in love, in Christian subculture often is used to mean something like there's an issue that I feel like I need to talk to you about and I'm going to tell you about it and I'm going to try to do it in a loving way. And it may be the case that sometimes there are things that we need to talk about and explain uh, our feelings and our thoughts and certainly we should do it in a loving way. But the point of this text here, speaking the truth in love, is word ministry. Bible study, adult education, evangelism, personal discipleship, the truth, the gospel. As the word that is taught by the pastors and teachers in the congregation equips us all, then we all reverberate with that word and speak that word over coffee after, after church, in the car with our family on the way home, over lunch. On Wednesday nights and Wednesday mornings, the words, truth in love, reverberates through the congregation. And then, of course, uh, we uh, grow, the growing gospel unity. We grow up in every way into him who's the head, of course, because now the word is, is being resounded, not just from the pulpit, but in every conversation throughout the whole church. Grows up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is now equipped. The equipping work of the pastors and teachers. When each part is working properly, that is when each part is doing it, speaking the truth in love. Bible studies. Discipleship. Children's ministry. Youth ministry. Well, then the body grows as it builds itself up in love. It's a bit like the difference between getting on a train and joining an orchestra. If you get on a train, you buy your ticket first, or maybe you have a season ticket, but you pay your dues, you you buy your ticket, and you get on the train, and you sit down, or... If it's rush hour, I suppose you you stand, but you're on the train, you take your place, and the driver of the train, unless it's automated, but usually there's a driver still at the the front of the train, then takes you along the train track, and you get off when you meet your destination, and it's essentially, it's a passive experience. You get on the train, the driver drives, when you're done, you get off. Versus joining an orchestra. Everyone brings their own instrument. Um, 
a cello or a clarinet or for the really sophisticated an oboe which I used to play until I was 16 really, really badly. It always sounded like a dying duck when I played it. My uh, music teacher gave me a choice between carrying on playing the oboe or carrying on playing rugby, and I chose rugby. It was an easy choice for me to make, I think, to his chagrin, but anyway. Or a flute or something. Oh, there's a conductor of the orchestra? Yes. But each part does its work as the tune of the gospel, of the word, is played through all the conversations as we speak the truth in love to one another. So the Apostle Paul here is urging us to grow gospel unity through two ways. Maintaining loving humility, which has two aspects to it, it must, it's something to maintain, not to create. The gospel creates it. We maintain it through love and peace and gentleness and bearing with one another and patience. Maintaining loving humility and furthering word ministry, which also has two aspects to it. Christ's gifted um, leaders. Pastors and teachers, the word sounding through us, and then us all equipped, sounding out that word outside the church, in the various meetings of the church, as we all speak the truth in love. And then, of course, what? Of course, then the the church grows in its gospel unity because now every part is doing its work. It's fascinating to me how both in church culture and secular culture, this idea of unity has got so wrong-headed. In church circles, typically those who are most into Bible stuff uh, tend to be fighters, aggressive, warriors for truth. Whereas in church circles, those who are most into love and humility and gentleness tend to marginalize the Bible. How wrong-headed could you get? Yes, we must maintain loving humility, but we must also further word ministry by uh, training up a new set of pastors and Bible teachers. We've got a pastor's conference uh, for, for just that end coming up quite soon. If you're a pastor or a preacher or you want to be a pastor or a preacher... You can, you can, it's, it's uh, the Simeon Trust thing that we're hosting, the workshop on biblical exposition. You can join that. And then we're also going to do a thing in October called the Word Conference, second time we've done this, that isn't just for pastors though, it's for everyone. Because we all have a word ministry. Speaking the truth and love, discipleship, evangelism, encouraging one another through the word. But it's not just conferences, it's Bible studies and personal conversations and over a cup of coffee or for the truly enlightened over a cup of tea. (laughs) 
So there's a balance, isn't there, here? Love and truth. Truth with love. Not minimizing the truth, nor minimizing the love. We get that so wrong-headed in church circles. We also get it so wrong-headed in secular culture. I mean, I, there's this uh, massive desire today from the political elite and all the, the talking heads of our secular culture to try to generate unity because everyone's aware that our society is fragmenting. But the way they're trying to do it is to minimize truth-speaking. Because all that does is it will cancel anyone who believes in the truth. Which won't lead to unity, it will lead to further division. If you want to see uh, the end result of that kind of socialistic, communistic agenda, read Alexander Solzhenitsyn, particularly his his book, The Gulag Archipelago, which talks about his experience in, in the gulag, the jail of communist Russia. It's quite an eye-opener to see what happens when you get rid of truth-speaking. Cancel or throw them in jail. That's why it's filled with, uh, the Russians have a wonderful sense of humor, and it's filled with Russian jokes about the, the, the gulag, the, um, uh, the, uh, the jail, the Soviet jail at the time. One, one, one joke there is of a younger prisoner who had just got into the gulag, and he's meeting up with an older prisoner, and the older prisoner uh, says to him, um, how long have they, what's your sentence? How, how long have they put you away for? And the younger prisoner says, 15 years. And the older prisoner says, wow, what did you do? And the younger prisoner says, nothing. And the older prisoner says, you must have done something. Nothing is 10 years. <laughs> well, that's where it goes. Getting rid of truth speaking, which is no excuse to speak the truth unlovingly. Maintain loving humility and further word ministry from the pastors and teachers, from all of us. And then we grow in gospel unity. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do thank you for uh, this uh, passage. We pray that indeed we would grow in, in gospel unity by maintaining loving humility, that we would bear with one another in love, that we would be patient and, and yes, gentle with each other. But we also pray, Lord, that we would further word ministry, that all of us would be active in discipling and speaking the word, yes, in loving ways. And so we ask the Lord that uh, you would animate this body, this church, that we would increasingly grow in gospel unity. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.